Have you struggled with addressing your child's meltdowns? Does it feel like none of the typical techniques are working? Today, we discuss how co-regulation may be the key to success and why using this method has brought us closer to our girls. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing, Embracing Autism. autism. Hey, y'all. I am talking about a topic that is very near and dear to our hearts because <laughs> we have a very, what would you say, sensitive child who tends to be in meltdown zone quite often. Yeah, it's like if things slightly deviate from what she plans in her day, we're kind of at potential meltdown territory. So it's definitely trying to navigate very strong emotions and opinions about different things. And when I say near and dear to my heart, I mean literally because that's how close I have to hold her to help her calm down. (laughs) (laughs) Just a hug. So today's topic is specifically about co-regulation to address a point that we had made in a previous episode where we discussed meltdowns and tantrums. I believe it was maybe season two or three early on, it's been a while, where we were talking about how to distinguish between a tantrum or a meltdown. And while those points basically still stand, we're not really readdressing any of those. There was one thing that I remember mentioning that has kind of changed for us since that episode. And that thing is how we address our eldest child's meltdowns. In that episode, we had talked about how for her, it seemed to be easiest to give her her space. And so we had had a sensory room set up for her and we had sensory lights, a kind of like a calm down corner that she could kind of retreat to whenever she was getting overwhelmed and getting in that meltdown zone. But the thing that we realized is as she got older, That technique actually no longer is working for her because she is now really needing an adult to help her co-regulate. So we're going to be talking about co-regulation and how that's worked for us and the slight difference between co-regulation versus just kind of giving somebody their space. Oh, I was thinking, okay, so co-regulation, like solo regulation. I'm not sure if that's a... (laughs) (laughs) Self-regulation. Yeah, okay, there we go. I couldn't remember what it was. (laughs) Solo regulation. I was wondering. I wasn't sure if it was like a like solo, but no, I think the other point that we didn't really touch on before when we kind of said like, okay, kind of give her a safe place to retreat to was essentially because, okay, yes, she's in a safe, quiet, environment, but the chances that we are going to be at our house and have that safe, comfortable room that she is comfortable in are maybe a quarter of the time. I mean, she goes to school, we go shopping, we go to the stores. I mean, we we travel around in the car. We might not always have a safe place that has perfect lighting and calming music for her to retreat to. While that was a acceptable way of us kind of working through that when she was younger and we were at home most of the time. Now that she's kind of started preschool, that perfect environment is kind of shaken up a bit. So we can't really be at her school and be able to retreat home to her bedroom, for example. So we have to kind of be able to do it a little bit more on the fly. Or if we're in the car about to go to a store and there's a meltdown, we have to have a place, regardless of where we are, where we're able to kind of work with her to kind of getting to that safe zone or a better place to kind of work from. Yeah. And we also realized that as she got older, 
having those safe spaces really does become more difficult because as they're getting bigger, those spaces are getting smaller. (laughs) And so like her school, for example, they have like a calm down corner, but she is like too big for it. I mean, she's pretty big. She's like in the 90 something percentile. So she is probably the biggest kid in her class. And so that's not working great for her. So what we have learned and what we have tried to adapt for her is co-regulation. Co-regulation is basically when you get down at your child's level and help them figure out or regulate their emotions with them. So you're kind of guiding them through that process. So for instance, with my eldest, if I see that she's getting really worked up about something, we just incorporated a new system now that we learned actually through her school. It's actually helped us out a bit where when she's about to kind of spiral into this meltdown zone, we kind of get to her level and we don't force eye contact or anything, but we just get to her level so she knows like, hey, you've got my attention. And we ask her, do you feel like this is a big problem or a small problem? And we'll gesture too so that she could just understand the concept of it. And she has started to reciprocate being able to kind of answer that. And she'll say small. And so we'll say, do you think this is a big reaction or a small reaction? And she'll tell us big. And so we'll talk to her about, okay, so we have small reactions with small problems and big reactions with big problems. And we try to kind of work her through that process and it helps get her situated. But that's because she is now at a cognitive stage where she can understand that. That would not work for our youngest one, who is definitely not there yet. So when you have kiddos who can't understand that concept, what we do is try to give them feedback in a way that they would understand. So that might be more in a physical sense. So like for our eldest, one of the things that we learned quickly when she was young was that she did not like being touched. But at the same time, she needed touch to co-regulate. It was a uh, interesting conundrum for us. So we learned how to give her the touch that she needed to help her calm down during her meltdowns. Even now, we, we still have to be aware of how we're kind of embracing her during these vulnerable moments. I mean, we can't give her a frontal hug and kind of say like, it's okay, or calm her down that way. She will kind of push away. She doesn't want to have anyone kind of in her space or in her bubble. But if she's turned around facing the other way, she likes to have us kind of hug her like around her shoulders from behind as kind of more of like a comfort, I guess, as she's struggling. She might be able to feel kind of where she is in space, kind of feel like the dimensions of, okay, I'm in a comfortable place as she's being hugged from behind, but still at the same time feel that she's in control because there's nothing in front of her. So if she feels like, oh, I want to step away, she's able to do that versus if you give her a frontal hug, you're kind of blocking her exit in a sense. So by having her kind of in control of she chooses when and how much she wants to kind of come into kind of a a behind hug over her shoulders, I feel like that gives her a little bit of flexibility to help regulate her emotions a little bit as well as give her the option that if she is still upset and needs to kind of step away for a moment and then come back, she's able to do that as well. And I've definitely learned that she seems to want the attention. She wants us to be giving her the comfort and support, but she is averse to certain types of physical touch. So we have to be very careful how we approach her with that because her sensory system is very sensitive when it comes to touch. When she was younger, she wouldn't let anybody touch her hands. So you couldn't hold her hand. You couldn't rub her hand to comfort her or soothe her or anything like that. 
So it's taken a lot of time. I mean, she's going on five now. So it's taken that amount of time to get her to the point where we are allowed to hug her on her terms, or we might be able to cuddle her on her terms. We can't really surprise her with it. And she's got to be kind of in the mood for it. It's one of those things where you have to kind of learn what your kids sensory boundaries are and kind of understand where their triggers are because it varies for each child. So when it comes to co-regulation, the goal is to be present with your child during the meltdown, trying to be that rock and that foundation that they need during a time where their senses are heightened and their emotions are heightened, and it feels to them like it's essentially the end of the world. In a meltdown, you're not going to be able to have a rational conversation with your child. You're not really able to discuss the issue at that time, nor is it the appropriate time to do that. It's always most appropriate to wait until the child has come down from that meltdown to then try to have that sort of discussion or conversation, assuming your child is verbal and can do so. And I can say that I've definitely tried many times to have kind of the rational conversation when she's kind of in a meltdown, just talking to her casually. And you can definitely see that doesn't help. It kind of amps up a little bit more and you definitely have to back down and kind of wait a little bit and kind of work off of her terms. So I agree there. <laughs> Learning the hard way. We've learned the hard way. It just it doesn't work. And I mean, I can share from like my own personal experience. I definitely am also the type of person that when my senses are heightened and I'm stressed and overwhelmed, I am not in a headspace at that point in time to have like reasonable conversation. Matt will know this because I'm just like, I don't want to talk right now. Let me just do my venting. Let me do my whatever this is. And then we'll get back to that topic after it's all done. For me, it's like once I'm able to get through that like sensory overwhelm meltdown mode, like I can totally like just have a calm, rational conversation, no problem. But it's kind of like you got to get through the storm before you can get to the other side. So for our girls, it's the exact same thing. We've definitely noticed it a lot more with our oldest one because she's more prone to the meltdowns than the youngest who is more to herself. So she doesn't really do that as much. But the eldest has definitely started to I guess you would say trust us. She's gained like a sense of trust now that we've built and developed through this co-regulation with her. So while we have started to allow her her space to have her meltdown, but still be present with her during those moments, it's taught her that this is a safe space to have a meltdown. We're here. We don't try to push anything on her at that time. We're not trying to have a conversation with her at that time. We're basically just sitting there in silence. Or if your child is receptive to like calming, soothing words, then you can. Hey, it's okay. I'm here. That sort of thing. But I know that for my child, at least, that is more of a trigger because she'll get really echolalia-ish and she'll start scripting it and it just like hypes her up more. So for us, we try to avoid saying anything during her meltdowns. And we just give her more like body language. So we'll give her like physical comfort or body reassurance. Right. Usually I think I'll ask like when she's starting to get in that mindset, I'll usually ask if she wants a hug. Usually it'll be no. But then what I'll do is I'll sit down on the sofa and I'll have like my hands open resting like on my knees. And then as she gets more comfortable with the situation, generally she'll kind of like back herself up into me and then I'm able to kind of hug her from there. So I mean, it's definitely, I think, more working off of the body language feeling the temperature in the room to see like, okay, is she feeling a little bit more open that she's calming down a little bit? Or do we need to kind of work with her a little bit or try to like comfort her in another way? Definitely think that, yeah, staying quiet usually tends to work better. (laughs) 
And the other thing to consider is that, again, a lot of autistics do not have a great sense of awareness with their own emotions and feelings. That's part of autism. It's kind of like that interoception piece we were talking about before, where it not only impacts your ability to physically understand what's going on in your body, but that part that ties into your emotions is also impacted. So sometimes she's not really able to explain how she's feeling or understand how she's feeling. So us trying to tell her oh, I know you're upset, just triggers her. And she'll be like, I'm not upset. I'm not sad. I'm not this or that. Because she doesn't really quite understand it. And there might also be a little bit of that PDA, that pathological demand avoidance and all that stuff going on, which again, is pretty common in autism. I think it's just important during those moments to just kind of give them their space without leaving their space. And of course, giving them that respectful distance. So depending on your child specifically, that might be like two inches away from them. That might be like three yards away from them. That might be you having your back resting against their back, but not facing them so that doesn't seem threatening to them. Every child is different. So you have to kind of fine tune it and tweak it to what you think your child's specific limitations are and what you think they would benefit from. And I know from time to time, I mean, you've actually been close with her and kind of had like the conversation, like not necessarily saying like, oh, what is your body feeling? But more simplistic than that, you'll put her hand on your chest and kind of say, okay, do you feel my heart? And she'll say yes or she'll nod. And then you have her hand and you put it on her chest and you say, okay, do you feel your heart? Is it going fast or slow? And so very simplistic, like a slow, calm heartbeat versus a quick, fast heartbeat. And she's able to kind of feel the difference. And then she'll say like, oh, my heart is beating fast. And then you kind of work with kind of the breathing exercises as far as like, okay, let's take a few deep breaths so we can kind of get our heart moving a little slower. And I mean, she seems most of the time, I'd say generally pretty, I mean, interested in that, or she's willing to at least try it. I mean, sometimes, <laughs> I mean, I love her. Sometimes she's a bit of a troll and she'll try and speed up her heartbeat. So when you're like, okay, let's take calm breaths, she'll breathe really quick because she wants to like try and speed up her heart. I mean, I think that's just her, her personality. <laughs> yeah. I mean, her personality just kind of being like silly at times or just kind of trolling. But I think overall, I think that that generally has a pretty high success rate, at least getting her to realize okay, what is my body doing when I'm feeling this way? What are the other reactions when I'm not in a good headspace? I think that's good if you can kind of get her to realize, okay, when I feel upset, my heart is beating fast. Okay. If I'm at school or something and I, I notice that my heart is beating fast and I'm not feeling well and I'm upset, then she can kind of relate to, oh, I remember at home, this is what mom did and kind of work through, okay, maybe if I try deep breaths, that will help self-regulate essentially. And then hopefully from there, we can kind of build a pattern of her being able to kind of work herself out of these a little bit faster. Yeah. And now that she's gotten a little bit older, the breathing is a little bit easier for her to follow. When she was younger, we did a lot of like smell the flower, blow the flower, specifically because she has a special interest in flowers. So that has worked really well for her. But we have noticed that she really does need to co-regulate. She is not really capable of self-regulating at this time. And a lot of autistic kiddos cannot self-regulate. Oftentimes, they need that other person to help co-regulate them and get them to where they have to go. You can kind of think about it in the sense of like visual schedules, for example. A lot of autistic kids can't just be told what to do. They need that visual aid of knowing what these steps are that they need to reproduce. 
It's similar when it comes to self-regulation. They need to see another person showing them what they need to do and walking them and talking through that process of what they need to do. And so our job as parents are to basically provide them with that like visual equivalent of what it means to self-regulate. What we often do is just mimic that for her. So we'll do the breathing exercises with her. I will stand with her and I will breathe with her and I'll tell her, breathe in breathe out. And then I'll put her hand on my heart. We'll have our hands on each other's hearts. I tell her, okay, let's make them the same. I'm trying to give her something that will give her physical feedback so that she can match those things. If you put your hand on your heart, you can feel that. She can physically feel the impact that her breathing is having on her body. The more obvious you can make it by adding either tactile stuff, visual stuff, just things that make that explanation really vividly clear to them rather than just saying it, that will go a lot further than basic instructions. So it's not going to work to just say, hey, calm down. Your child needs to learn and be taught what calming down is and what it looks like. That's the goal of co-regulation. Just be in that space with them. Help them figure out what calm looks like. Sit there calmly. Breathe calmly. If you look zen, They might feel Zen by osmosis. I use that word a lot, but it's kind of like this intertwining of a sense that you give. Energy. (laughs) Like an aura. Yeah, something like that. It's just kind of like the sense, this energy that you give off when you are calm around a child who's melting down, like you're giving a calm presence. You're basically making a safer space for them to be who they are. Right. When she's at school and obviously we're not there, her options are a little bit more limited because, I mean, obviously she's in a class with, I don't know, 20 other kids. She is kind of able to work through that a little bit. They'll ask if she needs a break. And so she'll say yes. And then they give her the option of, okay, why don't you put your head down? And so she's able to kind of put her head down and kind of close her eyes. And through that, she's able to kind of breathe and be calm. But I also think her being able to kind of close her eyes or block out her eyes or whatever she's doing while she's putting her head down, it also limits as far as like the stimulus of any type of light, um, any other things that are causing complete chaos. I think of an elementary school, uh, there's a lot of color and just lots of bright things. So Yeah, her room is pretty chaotic. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, especially preschool, everyone generally uses bright colors anyway. So by her being able to block that out and focus just on breathing, I understand she still is listening to all the chaos and talking and everything, but at least it limits one of the senses. So at least it kind of allows her a better opportunity to pull back to kind of a more neutral mindset. From what we heard from her teachers, that does have a fair chance of working sometimes where they don't need to intervene too much to kind of help her out. She's kind of able to work through it kind of a little bit. Yeah. So the goal of co-regulation is basically to get them to a point where they can then self-regulate. You don't want to stay in a co-regulation state forever. That's not really the goal, but it's kind of like that transition point. It's kind of like how we said that echolalia and scripting is kind of like a transition between nonverbal and verbal. That's basically what co-regulation is between meltdown completely unable to self-regulate to self-regulating. Co-regulating is kind of like that bridge in between. That's a good step to start with and work with before you can get them to those early stages of self-regulation, which is what Matt was talking about that she's working on now. She's just now starting to learn, okay, when I feel this way, it means that I'm overwhelmed and I need to take a break. She still can't identify that she needs a break on her own. She needs to be asked 
hey, do you need a break? It looks like you're overwhelmed. And when she's asked, then she'll realize, oh, wait, yeah, maybe I do need a break. And then she'll do it. But she's still not quite at the point where she can self-identify that. So there's still a little bit of co-regulation needed there. And it sounds like basically we're always saying like, oh, she's only within a small distance whenever she's having like a meltdown. But I mean, sometimes like because she's upset with what's happening, she'll want to leave or run off when she doesn't want to be around anyone that she's upset with. So if she's upset because she did something to her little sister and we're saying, oh, you can't do that or or whatever it is, she'll want to run off and like avoid people. So we also have the fear about like her kind of eloping if we're not at home or in like a safe place that she is like zoned off essentially or at school or something. So that's something to consider as well. That is like super closely tied because for us at least, and I know for a lot of other families I've spoken to, meltdowns are really closely tied to elopement risk. So it seems like a lot of times for our kid, if she's melting down, that is when she is most likely to elope. We definitely have been more concerned about elopement. We actually recently had a scare. I think it was probably like what, yesterday or the day before yesterday? Right, it was earlier this week. Yeah, earlier this week. She eloped. I can't even remember what she was upset about, but she was having some sort of meltdown and she darted out of the front door as we were getting ready for school. And I had not been able to get her GPS tracker on her yet. She darted out of the front door and I couldn't find her anywhere. And we were running around the house looking for her. We were calling her name. We couldn't find her anywhere. Obviously, it was terrifying. Our property is literally on a major highway, like a super major cross state highway that's literally in our backyard. And so like my first thought was like, oh, my gosh, I hope she is not going towards the highway. We are kind of freaking out, calling her name. She never responded. I did ultimately find her hiding in some corner by like the patio, but like she never responded to us. And that's part of the problem with self-regulation and meltdowns is that it can trigger essentially a life or death situation because that could have been life or death. That's why we are really invested in having these GPS trackers. And one of the ones that we highly recommend is AngelSense. Check them out. Are you struggling with how to keep your eloping child safe? Check out AngelSense. AngelSense comes activated and ready to use straight out of the box and works with an easy-to-install app for your phone. It provides GPS location monitoring and both one-way and two-way calling to help you keep tabs on your little one. It also has an optional SOS button your child can use to contact you directly in case of emergencies. The AngelSense monitor not only provides your child with safety, but it also comes with a gift of peace of mind. Check out the link in the description box below. That is the AngelSense GPS tracker. Very important thing to know is for it to work, it's got to be on your child. And that's where I messed up. I forgot to put it on my kid. And well, oh think, my gosh. I think what it was, was I think you had sent me to go get them because they were charging. And that's when she ran. Right. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was in the process uh, of Matt getting it for us right. to put it on them. And that's when she eloped. So, I mean, you can never be too safe. Put it on your kid whenever you can. Right. I mean, at least peace of mind, if anything. They have the potential of still eloping, but at least you have the knowledge of like, okay, where are they if, if that yeah. happens? I mean, better safe than sorry. Right. I so. mean, obviously, I mean, keep an eye on your, your kid and don't let them just free range wandering off. But I mean, yeah, at least it's just an extra comfort or kind of like a, a net to kind of like 
catch them. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like another thing that we've kind of learned through this journey is there are moments of regressions in autism that we are still constantly being surprised about. Elopement is one of those because it seems like she seems pretty self-regulated. We feel like she's okay. And then some small thing to us will trigger her and send her into this meltdown that she is not able to self-regulate. And that often is where she will elope. So like a couple weeks ago, she also eloped at church because there was a transition difficulty where she wanted to be somewhere in the church and she couldn't. And then she started darting off and it was really hard to get a hold of her. This is why we think it's so important to work on these co-regulation techniques, because that is how we have been able to basically talk her down, get to her level and just work through those biological signals of like, okay, feel your heart, breathe, all these steps that I have to take with her that are very hands on because she cannot do it on her own. And many autistic kiddos simply cannot do it on their own. So we can't really just like punish them or get upset with them if we feel like, oh, why can't you do this? Why are you freaking out over literally like a couple Cheerios that are the wrong shape or color? I know that to us, it seems really silly, but honestly, for them, it's a neurological condition. They literally cannot change how their brain thinks or how their body reacts. You can kind of think of it like a reflex. You cannot control a reflex. It just happens. Your brain is not thinking about it. It just happens. So you can't really think about a meltdown. Like a child is not thinking about having a meltdown. It just happens. It's not always easy. I mean, as far as trying to get her back to neutral or co-regulate with her, I mean, sometimes she's very avoidant and doesn't want to have anyone around. She wants to kind of be alone on her own. It is a challenge. Yeah, you can get upset and be, I mean, kind of storm off and be like, oh, why can't this be easier or something? But that doesn't really solve the problem and it doesn't make anything better for your child. So, I mean, it's kind of like you have to roll up your sleeves, dive in, I mean, work with them. We have seen promise when we are in the moment with them. I mean, obviously when she's having a meltdown, it's not a convenient time usually for us. Usually we are either in a rush to go somewhere or something just happened and things are kind of worked up for us a little bit too. So it definitely takes an extra effort to be putting our emotions kind of aside and honestly us taking a deep breath and kind of being like, okay, like let's, let's work through this. Just trying to take a deep breath and be like, okay, we might be late to wherever we're going, but okay, let's, let's get calm and let's like dive into this. It's definitely a challenge at times, but <laughs> I would definitely say that Poppy has a, a hard time with self-regulation sometimes. <laughs> I know I need, I need, I need my uh, co-regulation partner. So yeah. <laughs> Do you need me to put my hand on your chest and just be like, take a deep breath and yeah. match your heart with mine? Yeah. You, you never do that. <laughs> You just say, oh, man, go to your is that your love language (laughs) co-regulation? It should be. It should be. But no, I mean, obviously, as I mean, the parent, I think it is for us to basically kind of get our mindset in check so we can better help our children and work them through. I mean, what is clearly a even bigger struggle that they're contending with than our own emotions. Yeah, I think that that's one of the tougher parts of all of this. In order for us to successfully teach our children how to first co-regulate to hopefully eventually get to self-regulation, we need to first be able to self-regulate ourselves as parents. We need to be in the headspace to be able to deal with the meltdown situation that is happening. As much as it might be a challenge for us and 
boy, do I know how much of a challenge it can be, especially if you are like myself, working a full-time job and maybe you have stress at work, which I always have. And then you have to deal with, you know, not one, but two autistic kids that might be having sensory overload that day, or maybe they ran out of their favorite, what, applesauce pouch. They didn't have the orange ones. So we know that because they didn't have the orange ones, it's the end of the world. All these things can stack up. And I know like as the parent, it's really hard for us to not get overwhelmed and get frustrated. Little things can add up. We could just be like, oh my gosh, why? Why now? I can't do this anymore. This is too much. But we have to remember that we are the adult in the situation. And if we are having a hard time self-regulating, how can we possibly expect our child to be able to do the same thing? So I think it really, again, always starts with us. And again, I'm a huge advocate of self-care. So I do think that self-care is important and is something that as parents, we need to practice. But we also need to acknowledge that we have to be the bigger person. We have to be the one to set that example for our kids. And when it comes to co-regulation, that's really a parent-driven activity. The parent really needs to drive that situation in order to help our kids. Right. Because if you're not willing to work through it and work with them to kind of get to where they're needing to go, they likely won't be able to figure it out on their own or it will kind of keep going longer. The meltdowns will last longer and you're not really getting anywhere in the end. So, I mean, I definitely think that it is worthwhile to put the effort in, struggle at first. Everyone struggles with it, but definitely taking an interest in trying to work with them for co-regulating. I think that is a must-have. Honestly, co-regulation can be a gift, not just for your child, but for you. Because I can't tell you how often we thought when our child was first diagnosed with autism that we would never be able to have like a true emotional type of connection with her. We thought that maybe, you know, we would not ever be able to have some sort of bond that would be really difficult to have with a kid who's completely checked out because initially she had zero social interest or engagement. And so coming from that to coming to a state where now I feel like she needs me to help her regulate It creates this sort of opportunity for a bond as a parent with your child to be able to connect with them in a way that is very special when it comes to autism. Because we don't have those bonds that typical parents would have with neurotypical children, where you could just have these conversations, you can relate to whatever you have in common, and you could bring your kid to the latest movies. Like We know that those are things that are very limited when it comes to raising autistic kids. And so being able to co-regulate is also an important part of being able to build a relationship with your child and build a bond where that child will then come to trust you and eventually might get more comfortable with you. Our oldest has become more comfortable with us now and is now willing to cuddle us, is now willing to show us affection. She doesn't give us eye contact. I'm okay with that. But she is totally affectionate on her terms and in her way, but it's definitely miles ahead of where it used to be. You definitely build a strong connection with them that is in no way superficial and just at the surface. I mean, you are getting to the root cause of some of these emotional struggles that they're contending with. Definitely worth it. Go do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
So that's all we have for you guys in this episode. Don't forget to join us next week for our first Ask Me Anything or AMA session. So you'll have an opportunity at that time to ask us anything and we'll do our best to provide you with an answer. The live stream is going to air on Friday, March 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. But there will be an audio playback airing the following week on the podcast. For those of you listening, you will get to hear it too. And Leah and I will not be wearing green for St. Patrick's Day because of green screen. (laughs) That's true. We can't do it. There's that. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been the audio from the Embracing Autism podcast live stream series. Please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Autism Wish to catch these shows live. Otherwise, stick around next week for our next episode. This is Embracing Autism.